This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 57 of Aviation Careers Podcast. Can you have a successful flying career and a family life? Are you concerned you will not have time to enjoy your family and fly the world as an international airline pilot? You know, I know many of you have these concerns when determining if a career as an airline pilot is for you. Well, today I'm excited to have with me someone who has both a successful family life and flying career as an international Airbus A330 pilot. Carlene Pettit is a grandmother, international airline pilot, and author of a novel. Welcome to the show, Carlene. Hi, Carl. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're really excited to have you here. I, I tell you, I, I love your your website, Flight to Success, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end. But that's truly what we're trying to do here is is promote your flight, your flight to success, and and for you to reach your career goal. But real quick, before we get started, I uh, want to just a quick shout out to our sponsors. If uh, you like this program, please go out to aviationcareerspodcast.com and visit our sponsors. And they're all on the sidebar there. Also, if you're interested in, in Audible or audiobooks, go to audibletrial.com slash careers. And you'll get a free download for a month also free with a subscription. And if you want to cancel, you can cancel anytime and you get to keep the book for free. So it's a real good opportunity to for you to listen to books also, which is was pretty cool. As a matter of fact, speaking of books, we're going to talk a little bit about books in a little while here. Well, Carlene is, is boy, she, you are one of the busiest people I know. And you're all around and you're flying and you, you seem to be everywhere on the internet. You uh, have a blog, you have a book, you do some writing. But one of the things that that I've noticed about you is the fact that you really are passionate about aviation. And I was wondering, how, how did you get started? I mean, where, how did you develop this passion for aviation? Carl, this is, my story is probably the most unique you will ever hear because I didn't know anybody in aviation. I was playing a game called Careers when I was nine years old. Oh, wow. And at the time, yeah, at the time you could be a hostess um, for all those those of you uh, listeners who don't know what that is, it's a flight attendant. That's what they used to call them. So you could be a hostess, a model, a librarian, a school teacher, or a nurse. And all my girlfriends wanted to be a hostess. And I could not get on the hostess spot. So I finally just said, fine, I don't care. I'm not going to be a hostess. I'm going to be a pilot. And my girlfriend said, you can't be a pilot. I said, why not? And she says, girls can't do that. My dad's a pilot. Girls can't, you know, can't fly. And I said, Yes, I can. And so we got this huge argument, and I kicked her out of my house, and I ran up and asked my mom, can I be a pilot? And she said, I don't care what you do. Get out of my kitchen. And so I said, okay. <laughs> so I told everyone I was going to be a pilot when I was nine years old, and I had no idea what the job entailed. But that kind of – I was the middle of five kids. We were all about a year and a half apart in age, and, and that kind of became my thing until I actually took my first airplane ride. My dad was taking us to Disneyland, and and I walked up in the cockpit to tell the pilots I was going to be a pilot, and it was a 727. And I'll never forget looking at all those knobs and switches <laughs> and instruments, and I was devastated. I thought, there's no way I can do this. I can't be a pilot. And so I'm sitting in the back of this airplane going to Disneyland, and all my sisters are excited about going. And I'm back there just thinking, I've told everyone my entire life that I was going to be a pilot, and I can't do it. 
And I'd never, you know, it was my first experience. And so really something fascinating years later, I found out the power of believing in yourself is I just happened to be lucky enough that that first flight and that fear that I couldn't do it, I was on my way to Disneyland because honestly, when I came back, I was right back on the same uh, motivation path telling everyone I was going to do this. And I know it was because I had spent three days in a world that said, you can do anything you want. Just believe in yourself, dream and believe. And so I came back and I, I went after it. And so when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license, borrowed a car, drove to the airport. And I'd been been working and saving money up until that point and said, I want to take my introductory flight. And I we walked around the airplane. He showed me. We got in the airplane. We taxied out. And the instructor said, okay, you got it. And I go, I don't got it. He goes, yes, you do. And I go, no, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, I'm going to show you. And he talked me through this takeoff roll. And, and we lifted into the air. And I thought, wow, they're going to pay me to do this? <laughs> I was like hooked. And so I got into it because I was told I couldn't. I almost got out of it because of this great fear until I had, you know, thanks to Walt Disney telling me that I can do anything I want, came back, kept telling people, and then I, op- you know, got in that airplane and I loved it. So it's, you know, I actually we host every year, we, we do flying events and, and out here in Seattle, we're doing it at the Museum of Flight now and, and we get about, we fly about 400 young ladies a year within two days and really the intent on that one is to you know you never know until you get in an airplane if it's something you're going to love and that goes for anything you'll never know until you put your foot in you know break through that fear and get in there and think just try it you know you may not like it but if you do wow it's like opens the um you know the sky to possibilities for you so disney had had a real impact on you it's interesting because that's uh I, I, similarly, I uh, go into Disney World, and you know there was one thing that I heard on one of the rides said, "If you can dream it, you can do it." And I was like, "Wow, that's so true in any career." Just like you said, in any career, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you, it, you know, there's a lot of motivation. I think I think everybody should go to Disney, and, and if they want to get motivated towards doing something in general, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's so terrific. Such a neat story. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I think, one of the reasons the, the folks actually listen here is the fact that, you know, we are so motivational. We, we, we're constantly telling them you can do whatever you want to do. As a matter of fact, one of the things that people will find out within this show is that it may not be the career for them. So I think you touched on something there. You said, you know, try it out. See if you like it. Well, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have anybody telling me anything about aviation careers. I I know, Carlene, in your story, you you mentioned that. But that's what we're going to try to do here. We're going to try to fill you in as to what it's like to fly around the world as, like, an airline pilot in a wide-body aircraft. And actually, Carlene, that's that's what you do right now. You actually fly the world in one of these wide-body aircraft. So I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, that, that's now you went, went from your passenger, passion to this dream of, of flying this big airliner around the world. Uh, you know, what's it actually like? Is it everything you thought it would be? It is. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I have to tell you, every, t- every day, if I, if I got called out and went on a trip tomorrow, every time I walk around that airplane, I look up at it and think, this is amazing. <laughs> and I don't know how many people will go to their job after 30 some years and walk to the door and look at it and say, this is amazing. You know, it's, it's like, so I'm, I'm really happy and, and fortunate to have this, this career. And I'm on my eighth airline, which everyone, you know, a lot of people think, oh no, you had to start over. 
starting over to me is fun. It's a new challenge and, and, you know, and, and new opportunities. And so I've always looked at like that, but my entire career has been international. Um, I started out with Evergreen flying domestic and then, and then I got into the international arena and I love it. I love, you know, so, so many reasons because it's brought the world smaller. It's created a smaller world for me. People aren't, you know, we're all the same. We really, we might have come from different cultures and speak different things and eat different food, but primarily we all want the same things. And, and that's really opened my eyes. And I've got friends all over the world and I, I love to travel and, and we get there and granted we don't get a long time, 24 hours, but I try and get out and just get exposed to the culture. So it's provided that opportunity and how busy you touched on my life is. That is my calm. I've always, even even when I was in high school, with all the chaos of the you know of the high school kids and the peer pressure and the teachers telling you to do this and your parents telling you to do that, I would go get in an airplane, I would take off, and it's calm to me. It's very peaceful. And so even now, I get up there and and we fly for eight hours, and I can sit back and go, "Wow, this is nice." And I watch the sunset, and I can watch the sunrise, and you know, there's there's moments of, you know. Some people might might call the international flying boring, but to me, it's just a time to just relax and think and and reflect and 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 enjoy the journey. That's really what I do. I think I think if we all learn to do that more, you know, um, we'll have a higher quality life. Oh sure, I, I agree with that. And you know, you touched on something there, and I I had this conversation last week with a pilot I was flying with. The fact that you you actually when you're up at altitude, people say, hey, you might get bored. I actually that's that's like my little living room, you know, that I can look out the window. But instead of looking out the, the window at birds and things like that, I get to see this amazing landscape. And like you said, some amazing sunrises and sunsets. And I, I think that's something that, that I, I look to the person next to me and I say to them, do you realize that there's people who have never seen this before? And yeah. we are so privileged to be able to see such a thing, you know, and, and to be able to, to look at the world from such a different perspective. And like you said, it, it really brings the world together. Um, but, you know, I, I figured, and that's that's the wonderful thing. You get to go to these different places, enjoy different cultures, and that, that's great. But are there some challenges, though, possibly to doing that type of flying? I'm assuming, obviously, the sleep is going to be a challenge, correct? Yeah, and sleep is the number one challenge. It's just fatigue. And, and anybody who's traveled will know they get to you know, flight a location. It's going to take them a couple days to get acclimated. Well, we're flying over there, turning around and coming back. And it's just the, the, the lifestyle. And, and I've been an advocate for trying to, trying to stop fatigue, fight fatigue. The reality is pilots have always been, international pilots have always been fatigued and they always will be fatigued. We're, we're, there is no way to fix the human body from not, you know, from their circadian rhythm and, and flying the backside of the clock and then be on the ground for 24 hours because you get there, you're exhausted, so you sleep, but you don't want to sleep for a full day because then you'll be up all night before you have to fly, so you take a little nap. So you learn how to nap um, and you, you do get tired, but the point is, is, you know, as far as safety, you just learn how to, number one, how to mitigate fatigue as best you can, how to, how to, you know, create really strong procedures that you have so many procedures in place that even while you're tired, you're not going to, it's not going to cause a problem, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, so so fatigue is is the number one number one issue. But that's why I used to laugh because having three daughters, they were just um, just all fifteen. One, the first two were fifteen months apart in age, and the second two were the second and the third were eighteen months apart in age. So, and I was going to college full time. I was doing night school at the time, so I'd get the babies to bed, and then I'd go to class, and I'd come home, and and. The joke is I used to be up all night right, typing term papers with my right hand and, and holding a baby with the, um, you know, the left arm. And it's like – and so we used to laugh about that being my, my international flight training that I would operate it <laughs> on no sleep with those kids for so many years. It's like now I'm good to go. <laughs> you know, there's some opportunities to get sleep. I think we have to put those in ourselves. I, I think you uh, touched on one, the napping. Um, and I don't want people to get the impression we're fatigued all the time. I mean, I actually do catch up. Like if I land at like nine in the morning, uh, I tend to tell people, listen, I got to relax today and, uh, and then t- get my sleep and move forward. <clears throat> Everybody has their different way of dealing with fatigue and being able to get back in track. And I think, I think that that is a challenge. The new rules that have been put in place, let's talk a little bit towards those. I think they, they've helped somewhat as far as the, like especially on domestic, on the the ten hours rest, you know you're going to get ten hours of rest. Uh, but internationally, what do you feel as far as these new rules that are put in place? I know we have a lot of listeners that ask that. With the new rules, do you feel that internationally you're getting better rest? No, that it hasn't. It hasn't in, impacted it, the rest at all. Actually, they've made it a little bit more restrictive for the flight crews on the aircraft because we're allowed now technically to fly nine hours single crew before we were only allowed to fly eight hours single crew um so so they change that a little bit but but even back to the eight hours so you can schedule somebody from fly say tokyo to singapore middle of the night flying single crew that's probably the most exhausting trip out of um all the all the patterns just where you're at where you're going in the time of night but the regulation we can't be in that seat more than two hours before, um, you know, you have, to, you have to have rest within two hours. So they have restriction on who gets to land the plane. And I really think that we need to take that back into pilot's hand because, like you said, some pilots have this napping better. Some people rest better. Some people can sleep in a hotel. Some can't. And, you know, everyone has their own thing. You know, it's like and, – and I've learned that – Exercise is really how I drink a lot of water and I exercise and I cut the caffeine off at a certain hour, you know, to help myself sleep. Well, I may show up to a flight and the regulations say, okay, now if you fly first and you and you nap second, then you, the third nap has to do the landing. Well, that third nap person might not have might not be the most rested. Right. You know. So as a crew, we need to. I think we need to put some responsibility back into our flight crews and because as a team. We're, we're all in this together and we're all saying, okay, you know, because it happens. Even the best of times, some of you might not get a good night's sleep. And so we need to be able to say, hey, guys, I feel great. You know, I, I slept great last night, had, had a nap and slept through the night on the layover. And, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, even though I've only been, I've been awake for four hours in the seat, I'm still the best to land, you know. So those are the kind of things. But it's just... Um, you know, little snakes working working it out. But as far as helping the the crew rest, I don't think so. You know, and yeah, and I and I don't mean to imply that that all our pilots are flying fatigued. It's just international is fatiguing, and it, it is. And and so to mitigate that, you have to be able to learn what's best for your body and and learn you learn how to nap well and and 
you know, and, and, you know, plan it out. And so, and it does work. And it sounds like there's a little bit of a challenge here dealing with the regulations, uh, you know, especially, you know, obviously our bureaucrats, they put together these regulations they think are helping. And then in reality, it may not be. And you kind of have to work around those. So, so that sounds, sounds like a bit of a challenge in your job. It, it is a challenge, and it's it's. But you know, it's like you can't run from challenges. You know, people are going to make mistakes. Somebody's going to say, think something's a really good idea, and they're going to put it into place, but they haven't lived it, and they haven't thought it all the way through. And you know, that's just the way things are. So I think one of the biggest things, if we could just in our industry be more proactive and be very flexible and and be willing to say, hey, you know, I put this procedure in place, but I see what it's doing. You know. I was wrong, or let's let's edit it, you know. And if we can be willing to do that, we can work with stuff. It should be a moving, flowing process, and that's the most challenging thing with with the aviation regulations. And it's probably is the bureaucracy that when something comes down, they say we're going to do this, boom, and it's there, and it's black and white. And you know, we we need to actually. This would be a fascinating thing is if we could create a regulation that's that's you know written in pencil. Right. Let's go out and do it for a little while and get right feedback, out. and then let's modify it and do it a little while and get some feedback, and then at the end of the day, say, "Okay, everybody, this is what we've learned actually works." And then it, put it in pen. Some some of these regulations are somewhat like that. I mean, during the comment periods, obviously, this this rest regulation has changed so many times, but it, it you know it seems that there's a lot more to be done and. And there's there's a challenge, of course, but uh, I think moving forward, you have to get involved. I think that's another point here is that you really, if if you have a suggestion, you can go out and, and make a suggestion for any regulation. Of course, it's not going to get changed overnight, but uh, but at least you know your voice is going to be heard. There's a lot of websites, et cetera, that you can go to, and and when there is that comment period on a regulation, it's best to to put your comments in there. I think. Uh, oh, it is. It is. But I think a lot of people don't get involved because they no. think, oh, what difference is my voice going to make? And and it makes it makes a big difference. And, and just uh, look at, I mean, just look at. Carlene here. I mean, she, her voice has made a, a huge difference. She's one person here, flying and and promoting aviation careers and and uh, your 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 career too, and and putting it forward and making it successful. I think that's really important. But you know, the the one thing that I want to ask you about: you're flying Airbus an A330. Yes. And that's the um, I, I fly a 320 at work, and I, there's a lot of automation and stuff. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, all the automation. Is there something that, that you like about your plane? Like, is there something cool about the 330? Maybe you could kind of relate to us or, or, or talk to our, you know, the folks that are listening right now that someday want to fly one. What, what would be one cool thing you think about the airplane that they would like? Oh, you know, cool is in perspective. Right. But, um, <laughs> it's different. It's definitely different from any Boeing that I've ever flown. Um, the technology is great. It really is. It's, it's fascinating. And, the interesting thing between, you know, for all the pilots out there who are used to, you know, the first thing that you need to learn how to do is how to trim your aircraft. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, if you could trim your airplane and get it hands-off level flight, you are golden to do anything. And we always strive for that. We don't trim our airplanes anymore, which is really kind of fascinating to me, you know. And the airplane is smart enough that it does it itself. So um, it's all. very stable. Yeah, and, and the one thing is passengers love the A330. It's just such a comfortably uh, comfortable flying airplane, and and if you if you understand it, if you understand what it's doing, it's it's great. I always tell the guys, you know, everyone refers to their airplane as a she or their boat as a she. Well, this is the the 
perfect woman because I always tell them, don't push the wrong buttons and make her mad. You know, it's like (laughs) you got to treat her nice and she's probably smarter than you are and you just got to go with it and, and know how to manage her. So... That's great. I like that. That's, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that one. That's terrific. Hope <laughs> <laughs> they don't mind. Not at all. But the uh, you know now, Carlene, you know, there's you've been all over the place in the world, but you it sounds like you didn't just take this one straight shot to the to where you are today. Uh, it sounds like you did have a varied career path, and I I know you listening right now are are thinking, gosh, you know, I'm gonna go from here, point A to point B. But that's not normally how it happens in any career. There's always these little junctures. Just give us kind of an idea how many times you've changed your path on the way to where you are now. Well, I'm actually on my eighth airline now. And it, it started out, I had had an um, opportunity to go to Evergreen. And really early on in my career, earlier than I expected and I wanted, because I had planned on getting my kids into grade school, and an opportunity came up. And to fly night freight for Evergreen. But I'd be flying a 727. And, man, that was one of those things that I was, you know, afraid. I mean, literally, I was afraid to go because I was afraid to leave the kids, leave my husband. How were they going to manage? You know, who would cook the meals and clean the house and do the laundry to hold the all in? And it was too early beyond my plan. But the reality is those were just excuses. And I think we all find ourselves making excuses because – in reality, nothing ever would have been, um, there never be, would have been a good time. When they're in grade school, you have different challenges. And then when they're in high school, then you have different challenges. And, and so there really never is a good time. But what helped me, and I think managing a career with a family is the partner you choose. Because that's going to be the quality of your life. Are they going to support you? And are you going to support them? And you're going to work together? Because what my husband said to me back then when I'm running all these, I can't because of da, 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 da. He said, honey, opportunities like this only come along once in a lifetime. If you want to be a pilot, we'll make it work. And, you know, and I, and I thought, you're right. Okay, let's make it work. And so that was the first step into this airline career. And so I flew for Evergreen and then I had this great chance to go fly for Braniff. Um, oh, a wow. real passenger airline. And so I went over to Braniff and then they go out of business. And so now I'm on the street with all these people and and I'm thinking, you know, that have way more experience than I do. Where do I go from there? And I remember at the time, America West, um, America West was hiring, Southwest was hiring, but I had low time, low time hours at this point. And I tried to get on with them. And for this 1,500-hour rule that they, they put in place and everybody's worried about, I remember America West back then would not hire me because I didn't have 1,500 hours. I had 1,400 hours, and <laughs> they required 1,500. But one of the chief pilots down there, um, he actually used to be a chief pilot at Braniff. And so I, and I called him up and introduced myself and asked him if he could help me get a job at America West. And he laughed because he said, he says, you know, since I came down here, he says, you're the first person who called me up and just, told me what you wanted. He says, everyone else is my, my new best friend pretending like they don't know where I was. And he says, let me see what I can do. And he called back. He said, can you teach? And I thought, I don't know. I've never, you know, I've got three kids and a couple dogs. I don't know if, you know, I could teach uh, children and animals. Maybe I could teach pilots, you know. And so I went down there for this interview and they hired me. And what that did is it, it, it wasn't a flying job. 
it was a sim- simulator instructor job, but it enabled me while the kids were young to do both. And so, which was nice because I worked 12 days a month and I could work around their schedules. And, and then some days I found myself getting up in the morning, flying to Phoenix, teaching a session and coming home that night. If something was going on at home that, you know, a little activity for one of the children and, and so I did that for four years, and then I started working for another company on the side, and which Guyana got the contract. Long story short, I worked for both companies, and, and my other company got expat. So I ended up going down to Guyana and putting their aircraft in service for them and on, the, on 757. And oh, cool. so, and I did all the training here, or wrote all the training manuals, sent them down. Then I go down and, and taught them. We used Northwest Airlines simulators. Um, so I was working at that while I was doing that. In the meantime, I finally ended up leaving and I went to Tower Air and I flew 747 for Tower. Well, now, um, actually, I think that was after Guyana, after the Guyana thing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I left America West, went to Guyana, trained their pilots, was at Northwest. They took my application while I was, uh, while I was there. And then I ended up leaving and went to Tower, flew around the world on the 747. And while I was doing that, Northwest Airlines called me in for a, um, you know, for an interview. And I almost didn't take it. And I thought, you know, I've started over so many times. I'm going to be a 747 captain in six months. You know, it's like, uh, and I really stewed on this decision. So I decided, nope, I'm going to stay with Tower Air. And then the day I made my decision... Um, I found out I was going to be furloughed. And so, you know, and the chief pilot says, no, go get your interview at Northwest. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. And so I went over and I did that and, and got my job. So, and then Tower called me back and said, we're not furloughing this year. And I go, I'm sorry, I already took a job at at Northwest, but I can work for two months for you before you start class. And so it's kind of been, been the career, you know, I've been furloughed and laid off and worked in training, but one nice thing, and here's the thing where the way life works Everything that happens, happens for a reason. It prepares you for something next. And, and while a lot of people said, oh, you're working in training, seniority is everything. You have no seniority. You're letting, you're teaching thousands of pilots who are going to be senior to you. And, and because after two years, you could go on the flight line and they're like, you know, this was like something you just didn't do. Seniority is money. It's schedule. It means everything. And I gave that up to try and balance both. But what it did, it gave me back the opportunity. I found out that I had a passion for teaching. I love teaching. And I'm good at it. And so after that, I kind of went through my career. Um, training opportunities opened up everywhere that I went, and which helped out. Because when I went to Northwest, I was still on probation. They brought me in to instruct on the 747. And that worked out nice because I had a good balance, more control of my schedule with the family. So I was able to do both. But, you know, it's wow. been a fun career. I've, I've loved everything. I don't think I would have done anything differently. Well, you know, it, it seems just from listening to you that I, I'm sitting here almost getting scared, you know, every time you make this jump from one job to the next. Because that's the biggest fear with people is like if you get into an airline and say you don't like the airline, you can't move. And, and that's not true. I mean, look at Carlene. I mean, look at what you've done. I mean, you've come from all these, and sometimes obviously you didn't have a choice to do it, but there are points where you did have a choice, but you also had a choice to, to deal with that situation, that, and, and no matter what it was, if it was being furloughed. And we all make choices in life, whether we're going to go forward or backward, and it seems like you've been successful because you've always made that choice to move forward, no matter what. Right. And, and that's the thing, and, and a really fascinating um, 
subject came up when Northwest filed bank or filed bankruptcy and we were getting furloughed. And one of the instructors said came in to a meeting and said, oh, my 18-year-old son has an ulcer. Guys, we got to be careful what we're bringing home to the families, all the stress of the airline and, and all this, you know, it's happening. You know, we got to protect our family. And I went home and I said, you know, I told my kids, they were teenagers at the time, and, and said, the son is having this problem back there. And I said, why doesn't this bother you guys that my career might go away and this airline might shut down and I might not have a job again. And my middle daughter said, she says, oh, mom, you've been there before. You've always, it's always worked out. She goes, why wouldn't it this time? <laughs> and I thought, good point. <laughs> you know, awesome. so, yeah, so I, I guess fortunately I um, brought home to my kids, a, oh, yeah, another opportunity is coming up. It's going to work out, you know, and, and, and the reality is it, it does. It's, it's, it's not a Pollyanna attitude that, oh, everything's fine. I'm going to sit here and let the world be fine around me. You have to take action and you got to go for it. But if you're doing the best you can, what more can you do? You know? And, and well said, because, you know, a lot of people sit there on the couch and say, oh, woe is me. But now it's time to get up off that couch and move forward in your career, no matter what you're doing. And, uh, you know, a lot, another thing that people ask, and, and I'm sure those of you listening right now, they're in this situation is that, gosh, I'm in this career that I hate. And I want to move over to aviation, but I'm so afraid. Well, I think Carlene's a good a good example of someone who, who has been able to face those fears and move forward. And it all works out just as long as you're willing to to work at it, right, Carlene? Absolutely. And 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 if you put it in perspective, yeah, I started out and kind of jumped between different airlines, but when I was hired at Northwest Airlines, I was 35 years old. So that's you know, and there was a time when I thought that if I didn't have my airline job by the time I was twenty three, I was done with you know. So right. there's there are opportunities for for older pilots to um, come into this industry, you know, and and you know we can fly till we're sixty five now. So could you imagine even if you even if you you know didn't get into it till you were forty, you know, you still have a twenty five year career, sure. you know, a twenty five year great career, and. People talk a lot about the the wages, and it's so hard to make it. and And I've been with with Northwest and the and the new carrier now since we've merged. And I lost about three years in the seniority in the merger. So I've but I've been with the company for seventeen years. Okay, so seventeen years, I am making a heck of a living. This is I'm very happy with what I'm doing and with you know with we always want more, but I'm not dissatisfied at all. And so if you look at 17 years, just this airline alone, 17 years with a merger, you know, in the last third of it, and I'm happy. That says something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up that point is everybody focuses on the starting wages. You can't do that. It's like being an intern at a company. You can't can't focus on the fact that you're making nothing. You're building experience for your career in the future. What you need to look at is 10 years down the road, not today. And and I think that's really important. I see all the statistics that are put out there and why people aren't getting into it. Honestly, I, I really don't hear anybody talking about the fact that they're not getting into this because of the low pay. They're, they're a little bit worried because they're later on in life and have some bills and have to take a pay cut. But you know what? That's only temporary. You know, Eventually, you'll make that pay. And, and and that's that's something that I think you have shown. I mean, you've you've moved to quite a few different jobs, and uh, and also, you you also are one that has experience. I assume in other jobs too. You haven't just flown airplanes. You've done other things in your life, correct? Oh, definitely. I have been a 
cake decorator, a deli manager. I used to throw freight at a grocery store, uh, worked an espresso stand. My early jobs when I was nine years old with this dream to fly with <laughs> Molan's babysit, you know, um, we kind of had a, a joke of what we did for how cheap and, you know, it's like, I used to babysit for 50 cents an hour, which is probably the most challenging job of all. But yeah, no, I've, I've done a lot of things, um, you know, managed stores, worked at a restaurant, bust tables. And if it, and, and actually within my career, I've actually gone back and did sim instructing for other companies while I was working full time just to help pay for the kids, to put my kids through college. And so, you know, that was my choice. I wanted to help them out. And, but, but in, in hindsight, the really fascinating thing is, is that it helped me out because it gave me that added experience that now, you know, I, I don't fear when I go to a new airline or if I, if I check out a new aircraft because I've worked behind the scenes and, I, and, it, and it gives you this comfort to know what's going on and, and what's going to happen and what's going to be expected and, and how to do the whole thing. So those late night teaching jobs for my kids actually benefited me in the, you know, for all the typewritings I've earned along the way. So it's like everything works out well. It really does. And, and I like people. And so, you know, I used to tell my husband, I said, okay, if this job goes away, what am I going to do? You know, we, we don't, you know, we're, we, we live modestly. We don't need to go spend a lot of money. And I thought, yeah, I'd go work at Starbucks because that'd be fun. You know, I could get free coffee. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I like people. And, and so, which, and here's an interesting thing. It's like you like people, but you lock yourself in a cockpit for, for 11 hours and don't see anyone. Well, I kind of do that, but... But if I'm not on first duty for flying, I stand at the door, hand out wings to the kids. Easter, I handed out chocolate eggs to all the passengers and, and you know, greet everyone coming on the airplane. So I get my people fixed as they're coming on and get to high and welcome, and then I go lock myself in. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. So you still get to interact with people. And that's, I, I, a lot of people think that's over, but, uh, you know, I'm very, I love to bring kids up to the cockpit, especially when I'm going to Disney or Orlando, I should say. Well, you know, just bring people up and they, they just think it's the greatest thing. Have them take a picture. You know, it's that, that is actually probably one of my favorite things is to watch some little kid in the cockpit and getting their picture taken by one of their parents. It's, oh. it's amazing to watch the smile on their face, and they just think it's the coolest thing, and they ask the same question. All these switches and buttons, do you know what they all mean? <laughs> I know. But how do you learn the ball? Like, well, you learn them one, one at a time. <laughs> but the kids are just – I just love the questions they ask, too. It's some things that adults would never ask, and I think that's, that's kind of – it's like they'll say, well, how do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> and the, it's like, wow, gosh, you know, no one's really asked me that one, but, you know. <laughs> I just know. Going, <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, you know, Carly, you mentioned a couple things, and I was wondering if maybe you could clarify. the. Um, you mentioned the word probation. Um, maybe since we haven't talked about that much on the show, explain a little bit about what, what probation is. It's not like going to jail. Oh, good good point. No, it's not like going to jail. It's um, Probation is when a new pilot gets hired. They kind of test you out for a year. And so for, you know, it's like... You don't want everybody makes mistake occasionally, and you want to hire the right people. We want to know at our airlines that we have hired, we've made an accurate choice. We've hired somebody who's responsible, who's going to follow procedures, and show up to work healthy and fit, and to do the right job. And so, if that's that first year, and that we're all kind of keeping an eye on that new new person to see if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, and if they and if they haven't, if they don't, 
you know, keep up the standards of an airline pilot at that first year, then we have the ability to say, you know, maybe another job might be better for you and they can leave. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's just a good way to, and, and here's the thing. It's like anybody can come and fake something, you know, for a short amount of time, but also it's really fascinating. I've learned like procedures. If somebody in their mind said, Oh, I'm smarter than this airline. I know how to fly these airplanes. I'll just go along with that probationary period and do what they want for now, but then I'm going to do my own thing. Well, the interesting thing is once you do what you're supposed to be doing for a year, you, you won't never go do, you won't go do something else because now it'll be ingrained. This is what we do. And so, and that's one of the really important things with airline pilots. We all want to be doing the same thing. We want to be on the same page. It's kind of like a script in a play that everybody needs to know their lines. And if one pilot is not doing what, what, is expected of them and the other pilot knows what they're supposed to be doing. It's at that point you look at them and you say, are you okay? And you want to check out and and see if there's something, something wrong or, you know, so, so it is important. Standard operating procedures are are really important with, with airline crews. Right. And that's a great explanation of the probation and also understanding SOP. And uh, the neat thing about SOP, you can fly with anybody. And exactly. You can switch crews, and that, that's it's made by design. Where you know one, you can fly with one captain one day, and another captain on the next leg, and, and you're all going to do the same thing, and it really really adds to safety. Yeah, and I think I think the the SOP is if if you know, and with this probation, every once in a while you get a, somebody who thinks they're going to do their own thing, but you know the SOP is probably the one thing that you can see if that new hire comes on for a year, you know, and they can make through the probation period doing this. The, then they're going to be good. Well, Carlene, the, the, this has been great. I tell you that just understanding the airlines and, and what's like to, to get to this point. But I was wondering if we could switch a little bit to uh, women's topics. I know we've had uh, a few females on before that are airline pilots and have been, but uh, I don't think we've had anybody on that's actually had a child uh, and has had this long career and has had multiple children. So there's some unique things. So, you know, let, let's speak towards some of the folks, the, the, the women that are listening, the, the young ladies out there that, you know, what are some of the challenges, uh, and hopefully I won't be too ignorant because obviously I haven't had any babies, uh, you know, what, what are some of the challenges of, of having a child while you're at this, at a flying job, flying for an airline? Well, the, the interesting thing is right now, for women who are flying and then go out with their children, you know, the challenge, one of the greatest challenges, when do I come back to work? Mm-hmm. And another a great challenge is, you know, nursing your baby. You know, I have, I have talked to many young gals at the commuters that haven't, haven't been allowed to stay out a little bit longer. And so they're actually, you know, pumping bottles on the airplane, taking them home for the child, which is really a challenge. And, mm. you know, and that's one thing that I hope that we can, we can look at, you know, and this being a mother in those year, early years is really important, but you should be able to do both, you know, and so, and there should be flexibility in the industry that, you know, you have a baby, take care of the baby, and then come back to work when you're ready. Um, we've got enough pilots on reserve, and there's, an, you know, in contrast to the future pilot shortage right now, there's a lot of pilots out there looking for jobs, so it's not like we're going to not have somebody to fly the airplane if that happens. Um, one of the greatest things for me at the time was the guilt. Oh, you're leaving your child. How could you do that? You know, and it's all those other mothers and that scrutiny around you. And you're feeling like you're this horrible parent for leaving your child. 
Well, you know, parents leave their children eight hours a day. And the nights that they're home, they're with them at night. I always had quality time with my kids. Um, I was able to, granted, I'd be gone for, for four or five days. I made sure that they were safe. I actually even made food for my um, husband and the kids while I was gone and, you know, and had it in the freezer. I would come home. They never ate it. They always went out. It only took me two (laughs) years to realize, stop making them food while you're gone. They are not going to eat it. (laughs) So, you know, it's like I'm a slow learner, but but I tried. And then I just thought, you know what? There's going to be sacrifices. My husband might take them to McDonald's and Pizza Hut while I'm gone. But you know what? When I'm home. They're going to eat healthy. So they're not going to be garbage all the time. Not that that food is garbage, but, you know what I mean? They're going to have healthy vegetables and fruits. And, and so it, it turned out to be a balance. Um, the one mistake that I made in my life, no, I'm sure I have made many mistakes, but the one thing that if I could go back and change anything is I would have hired domestic help. I would have hired somebody to come and help me with the house because I was I jumped into this career when I thought, uh, and that was my perception that women had to do it all. You know, we could, it wasn't, you know, once it was like first you had to, you know, we could only have kids and then you need to make a choice, kids, or you could have a career. And I was in that era where, oh no, we're going to try and do it all now. And I would literally come home after being gone and stay up all night long and not sleep because I would be doing laundry and getting the house clean for the next day. But what I, realize now is, you know, I had many days with my children and I'm kind of just pretty tired um, and fatigued and it does take it out in your health. So, um, you know, get domestic help or just not worry about it. You know, this, this attitude that we have to, you know, can go to work and then come home and take care of our houses to perfection and take care of the kids is kind of a, you know, I would let that fallacy go. And also about the guilt of your leaving your kids. I had quality time. And one thing that I knew is I was going to be gone. And so my kids learned to be really independent um, as far as, well, and I, and I joke because we joke about not having three kids, but four, my husband would be on one, that child list. But <laughs> what I did is, you know, and I, I would like the kids, I'd like very early, they'd, you know, I'd let them go in and they'd pick out their clothes that they're going to wear. They'd have to come to me, mom, what should I do? And I, and I would ask them instead of telling them what to do, I said, well, what do you think you should do? And so I really ch- adopted my parenting style to try and be there more as a help the kids learn how decision-making skills and what to do for when I was away. And then when they got to be teenagers, because we all know teenagers are going to do the little things teenagers are going to do. And then when they get in trouble, they're going to blame somebody. It's not my fault. Somebody else's. And so, you know, I would tell my kids, you know, about choice. If they were going to go, you know, here's the thing. I would tell them about this drug thing because that's the biggest thing that parents fear. I'm out of the country and my kids get messed up in drugs. What am I going to do? You know, and, and I would tell them that, you know, this, this drug thing, whether I'm in the kitchen or in Tokyo, when they're out of that house with their friends, they need to make this decision on where they want their life to go. And this is kind of alcohol or drugs. You know, if somebody, you don't know if you take something, if you're going to die, first off, because many do. And if you don't die, if you like that feeling, then you become a drug addict because if you like the feeling, you'll take more. So here's the choice. Do you want to die or become a drug addict or just not do it? <laughs> so so we kind of had this rational discussion. And, and knock on wood, my kids survived those teenage years with mom being out of the country um, many times. We had, at the time before Skype, very high phone bills because I would call home every night. <laughs> um, 
I mean, they were like, that was my, all my per diem. I didn't eat. I called home (laughs) actually. And so, um, yeah, so there, there's challenges and there have been challenges, but they've been good and they've turned out great and I have great kids and I've got seven grandkids now and all my daughters are, you know, went to college and they're all married and have families and are working and, and they're making it work for them. So, so it sounds like you've, you've really done a great job having the, the right work and personal life balance as a pilot, especially as a, as a, a mother and, and a grandmother. And you know, that that's, I, I think the one thing you said about getting domestic help, that's, that's a great idea. I think that would reduce stress quite a bit. I know we just recently did that and it's, oh my gosh, it has taken a load off our shoulders. Amazingly, just something simple, like even just having someone clean your house. Uh, it really does. It, it gives you more time to spend with your family, and I think that's that's a great thing. Uh, is there any other suggestions you might have, especially like pointed to the females as far as keeping that work and also you know professional life as a pilot balance? Well, I think one thing that I didn't do also is, is there are a lot of a lot of women groups. You know, the the ninety nines are general aviation, and then you and even the ninety nines um, when you connect with other women doing the same thing you're doing you kind of have a common ground and and you understand and you get it when I was flying I didn't know anybody I didn't have anybody to talk to I would have loved to have another woman pilot say you know what I'm, I'm going through the same thing you are you know and and you get out and there's times you get out and you fly you're flying and it's just like you feel so sad because you're not home and when you're not there with your kids and then and then you take a step back and you're going, well, wait a minute. They have dad and they have each other. The kids aren't sad. You're the one that's sad, you know. So you just have to put that kind of stuff in perspective and know that that what you're doing is our, our goals as parents. You know, we should have to keep our kids safe and, and you know, that's a very basic, basic uh, responsibility is keeping them safe and healthy. But we also have to teach them how to grow up and be themselves. And so there's a lot of learning moments for these kids and also a lot of pride. You know, it's like it shows your children they can do anything and they can. And so I think as a, a, a working mother, that's, that's really important for the kids. So there, there are so many benefits that, that outweigh the negatives. Um, and nobody can be home, you know, 24 hours a day. And even those, even the moms, working moms at home. You know, they're they're probably more frazzled than anything going to a nine to five job and then coming home and exhausted. You know, I watch I watch my middle daughter, how exhausted she is with getting the kids up, getting them to school, going to work, uh, working a very full job, trying to finish up her, her Ph.D. and then picking them up from school and and the activities at night and the kids are tired. And and it's a challenge. It's it's a lot of work, um, at least with a mother pilot you get to sleep in clean sheets through the night. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many how many mothers get to do that in their early years, but it's kind of awesome. You know, it's like, and take care of yourself. Take take pride in yourself to say, okay, I need a night. And, and, and I need to go lock the door and go take a bubble bath. And also make sure that you take time with your spouse because you, what happens with a lot of, you know, you're gone, you're flying, you come home and, and it's like you've been gone from your kids, but you know what? Make a date night. Right. My, hus- my husband and I did that. We we made sure that we had date nights and we went together. You know, that's probably why we've been married for thirty three years because we didn't allow the 
the chaos of work and kids and family and two different schedules to forget who we were together as a couple. And I think that makes a huge difference. You know, that, that's some great advice. Actually, you know, I'm fairly uh, new to being married. Last we talked, I actually was single. I'm married now. And uh, one of the things that I've started doing is figuring out a night or actually even a day that we get together. We try to do like one or two days a month where the, we're just together and that's it. And that really has changed things dramatically. So, uh, you know, you get caught up in your family and the other things in life when you come home. I think that's great advice. Uh, and I just started doing it. It's been awesome. It, yeah, it, it is. You know, cool. even if you even if you are so busy and you can say, hey, I'll meet you for coffee, you know, and it's one of those things. Oh, well, I don't have time now. Well, you really do have time. You know, we, we have more time than we think. We just have to, you know, move it around a little bit. Right. But, you know, just spending even that hour with that person just to sit across and, uh, you know, and talk together, just be, be, be together. It's nice. Yeah, it sure is. So that's, that's some great advice. And by the way, you know, we talked women's issues, but, but it, it intermixed in all your, your conversation here, that this applies to, to both males and females. A lot of the advice that you've just given, uh, there are some specific things that are unique to, to women and flying, obviously, but, uh, but this works for everybody. Uh, and that's, that's why I think is, is really cool about what you've said. Um, you know, but getting back to the the female pilots, you said something about an organization. I think you said the 99s. Is is that something you would suggest? Uh, say there's someone listening right now that, that's a female that wants to have some camaraderie with other women and be able to tell those stories that are unique to women. Is What would you suggest? Yeah, so here, here's the thing with all the women groups. Mm-hmm. We've got women of aviation, which is uh, pilots who are opening the door to, to expose yeah, young girls to flying. Okay, so then we go into 99s. And the 99s are actually a general aviation group, but there are quite a few airline pilots who belong to the 99s. And my chapter in Seattle, these gals are just awesome. They're out working at their, you know, they'll go paint things on the runway and they do fly-ins for lunch and, and, and they do, you know, they'll have their meetings and have guest speakers and stuff. So it's really a good group to join. And there is a 99 chapter probably Anywhere in the world, they can find somebody, and then and then you get to the next level: women in aviation, and that is an organization for women who now want to take that general aviation and go explore and get more into a career. And so, the women in aviation is really the career, and they have a huge conference every year, and you get to meet different airlines and and people, and and they have meetings also. Um, but they're not only pilots. They're they women in aviation might be engineers or um, you know mechanics, and so they're the full spectrum. And then you have ISA, and once you are an international airline pilot, then you can join ISA. I'm not international, just an airline pilot for for commercial airline. And you can join ISA, and then you'll have a group of women who are uh, have been or are working for an airline that. You know that you can connect with and say, "Hey, here's the the specific um, challenges we have in this group." And so, ICE is really good if you are a woman who is flying and and wants to connect other women doing this women doing the same thing. So, well, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of information. As a matter of fact, what we'll do is I'll put some links to these uh, on the podcast on the website at aviationcareerspodcast.com/slash. 57. So you'll have links to all those different websites. And, and of course, if you have any questions uh, about those organizations, you just uh, go to the contacts page, send me the question, I'll forward it to, to Carlene. Um, you know, Carlene, it's been great talking about all these issues with the, the airlines, and, and you've had a really cool journey. 
uh, and moving forward. And uh, you are someone that personifies the ability to have that, that work and life balance as an airline pilot. Um, you know, I, is there anything, before we talk a little bit about all your other projects, is there any one last thing you can tell people about, uh, about their career, about having that life balance? You know, what, what's something that you would suggest? I think that the most important thing is to to find your passion, whatever it is, and and follow it. Because if you have a passion for something, all the hard work doesn't matter. I actually had this discussion the other night because somebody had left a comment on my blog about um, how do we encourage somebody to get into a flying career because it doesn't pay well and it's hard and you might lose your job. And And I thought about it and I thought, you know what, the difference is if you're doing something with that you have a passion for, you know, the setbacks don't matter. The challenges don't matter. The low pay as you're starting out doesn't matter. The reason why I had such a great career, even though I started over, even though I kept starting at the bottom, is because I had a passion for what I was doing. And it makes it fun to go out and do the extra job. I actually had fun going at nighttime to go sim instruct and go meet other pilots and, you know, and work with them. It was, it was fun to me because I enjoyed what I was doing. I think that if I did this job and I didn't really like it, it would turn into drudgery. And it'd be, it'd turn into something that now I'm just looking at the paycheck. Is the money worth it? And what if I, you know, so it's all about passion. It really is the key to a successful career, no matter what you do. I think that's key to everything you do. And I think you're right. And and that's a terrific way to close uh, this program. But, you know, Carlene, uh, you obviously have a passion for life in general, not just aviation. And you have so many things going on. You're, You're into writing, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we'll have some links on the website to everything you're doing. But now you have a blog and you also have a book that you've written. Tell us a little bit about where they can find you on the Internet and, and the different things you're involved with. Well, yes, actually I have two books. Book number two, the sequel, came out about oh, did. Uh, four weeks ago, oh, yes. Cool. Uh, and uh, you can find me at CarlenePettit.com, which actually links me over to my blog, uh, which is CarlenePettit.blogspot.com. Com. One day I'm going to have a grown-up website, but right now it's just because I'm so busy, I just haven't had a chance to do it. But yeah, I've got a lot of things in work uh, in the work, and and I'm I'm writing fiction thrillers because based on reality, I'm taking real crashes, real environment, and and real incidents, and p- weaving fictional stories around. And I have an intent to do that. I mean, I've got a kind of a plot. I actually just got accepted into Emory Riddles. Um, oh, congratulations. Uh, Thanks. I'm I'm going to get my PhD in aviation safety, so I start school in fall, and and then ten is to make you know it's a great job, love it. But then ten is to keep it keep it honest, get it better, you know, help make this industry really really good for those people coming up that they do have a they can count on a good career because I think what's happening is we don't. You know, it's a, as airline pilots move through their career, they get to the end of the career, and that's with anything, you're tired, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to retire, and I'm out of here. And so the future pilots don't have an advocate. They don't have anyone that's actually in the industry keeping the industry on on target and keeping it. You know, we've got all this re- these regulators and this, this peripheral that's like saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. Um but do they really know what's happening on the inside? And so I'm kind of going to be a, you know, I, I feel kind of obligated. I'm not uh, promoting this passion of aviation and, and supporting new pilots coming up. And I kind of feel obligated that, you know, they're, I'm opening the door for them to come in this career. I'm going to make it a good career for them. And that's really why I'm going to go to um, to Emory Riddle 
to, to work on this PhD with intent to one day, you know, maybe, maybe get into a, a career when I retire from my flying job to go into the aviation industry and as part of the regulatory aspect, but with, with the common sense gene and, and experience of how we should do this. So, so I've got a lot going. And then, and then when I finish my PhD, after I have my three thrillers, then I'm going to write the truth behind it. And what's going to be, it's going to be a 10 year look back at where the industry is, where it's going. We're going to bring in uh, fatigue and regulation and automation, the challenges with, which can be an entire podcast in itself. And, and so we're going to look at, you know, do this entire look back. But now, for your audience, this is the book that I was supposed to have written, and I'm going to try and have it out before I start school in fall. But it's I'm writing a motivational book called Flight to Success, and it's basically on how to um, achieve a career, not only in this industry, but any industry. And, and what I'm doing is I'm taking you know, little stories from my life and just applying them to you know, just, just basic here's the mindset, here's what we need to do to, to be successful in our lives. And, and so it's going to be a fun book, and I just need to get that thing written. And I also have two children's books I'm, I've written, but we're just in the process of illustrating. So I'm like, kind of have a lot of things in the fire right now. Yeah, sure sounds like it. Well, we'll look forward to that. And as a matter of fact, you know, you can come back here and, uh, and look for those links, and we'll link to your website so you can keep up on, on what Carlene is doing. As a matter of fact, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to forward some of these questions to you when they come in. Uh, and maybe we could have you answer them either online again or uh, just write back to us, and I'll read them online. Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that. Awesome. And, and, yeah, and, and my on my blog, Flight to Success, you can pretty much go in there. I have a, a search bar right at the top. Uh, the Flight to Success blog is thecarlinepettit.com. And almost any subject that anyone could come up with, if it's typed in that search bar, box, they're going to pop up. They will find a blog. I'll be surprised if you can come up with any aviation. You know, if you're flying over 35, type that in there or how to build hours or should I go to college or, you know, or I'm afraid to fly or, you know, you could type any word in there and you're going to find numerous blogs that they can go back and read of things that, you know, I previously addressed with a lot of these questions and concerns and and my email address is on there, too, so people can write directly if they want. And awesome. Well, Carlene, thanks so much for being here. I mean, this has been terrific, so much information. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sure we, we have created more questions, even though we've given some answers here. And, and I, I know that in the future we're going we're gonna to be talking to you quite a bit. And, and we also, you know, obviously wish you luck with the, the degree and also finishing up the book. I will look for that. That's, uh, that's terrific. And we'll, we'll be reviewing that here at Aviation Careers Podcast once that comes out. I uh, really look forward to the flight to success. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so well, here here's something that I'd also like to tell readers because I I write motivation. Um, you, if you read my blog, my blog, it's it's a motivation. It's very uplifting. The my books, Flight for Control and Flight for Safety, the two are out are are aviation thrillers and they're R rated. They're definitely not for children, and so I just want to let your readers know that right. uh, the kids' thanks. books are coming on the other side. But you know, I don't want to have you know, and they are, they're novels, so they are fiction. And, you know, albeit those of us in the industry can pick out, ooh, I know what happened there, you know, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I just don't want anyone to go unrealistically thinking, oh, this is flight to, um, for safety is a motivation book, because that one is not. So, right, right. <laughs> you know, I just want to have a practical, I don't know, know what they're getting. 
Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can monitor whatever you want as far as, as going out there to read it. It is definitely, it's a more of an adult book. Uh, that's true. The Flight for Control was, and, and but it's fun. It's it's a really good book, and I enjoyed it. I liked your writing, and uh, it's uh, some good insight into the industry. Uh, Carlene, is any last, last words before we head off? I know we're at the end of the show here, just uh, before we close out. Uh, no, I just want to uh, wish everyone good luck in what they're doing and, and just, you know, probably actually since I've been writing this Flight to Success book, you know, I, one thing that I realized is something that holds all of us back is fear. We fear failure. We fear what if we're not good enough? What if, you know what, get rid of that. Go make, a, go make friends with fear. You know, stuff's going to happen. And, and once you break through that, it's kind of like life's personal trainer. If you can be afraid of doing something and move through it, it's so much easier on the other side. I was I was on CNN uh, my first time, and I was scared to death. And now when they call me up, it doesn't even matter anymore. So it's like it's a, such a um, you know good feeling to make friends with fear and just say, okay, you know, don't do stupid things. And I'm not not suggesting that, but but probably most of our apprehensions in life with why we don't choose a career we don't because we're afraid what if it doesn't work well my answer to that is if it doesn't work then you try something else but don't do it because you think of the what ifs because you're kind of afraid of you know what might happen what if I fail what if the airline closes down what if I don't make enough money you know deal with the what ifs when they happen if they happen because most of the times they don't happen and you kind of waste your whole life you know, running around being afraid of something that never is going to happen anyway. I think that's a, a great way to, to sum up. And, you know, I, I like to tell people, don't think of the what ifs. Think of the imagine if. Imagine if I could do this. Imagine if I can do that. I think that's a, a better way to turn that conversation around. Well, again, Carlene, thanks for being here. I mean, this has been terrific and very motivational. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, obviously you can find us at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 57. All the show notes. There's a lot we talked about here. There's going to be a lot of links on the website. So if you want to read all the things we've talked about and, and you want to link to those, they'll be right there. And, of course, uh, if you do appreciate the show and you want to help support it, go to our sponsors. They're right there in the, in the right column there. You can click on them and, and go visit them because they, they're the ones that support this program and, and bring this programming to you. Well, folks, I really appreciate your, your being here today. And just remember this. Try to do one thing, one thing today that, that will move you forward in your career, no matter what it is that you want to do. Take that one thing, and, and if you're sitting there right now, write it down. Uh, when you stop listening to this, go and do that thing. If you're driving, uh, you know, pull over, write it down. We don't want you to get in an accident. If you're riding your bicycle, try to remember that one thing you're going to do. Just It could be something small. You just do it. And move forward in your career. If you have something you want to share with us, I really appreciate your writing in to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. Share that one thing that you've done. And especially for those that, that have listened to Carlene and, and, and the ladies out there, that is there one thing that you've done in your career that has moved you forward, one challenge that you've had, uh, specifically as a female, I'd love to hear from you. And and like I said, just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. Write us a, a, something really short. We don't have to use your name. I just want to hear what you've done so we can make motivate other people to go forward in their career. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. 
This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.